I just remember I walked into there, back to the room, and I caught a guy in a suit, and he had the book open, and he actually had photographs pulled out of the plastic folders, because what we had is like those plastic sheets with pockets that you insert the pictures in. That way we can protect the, the photographs. And these were photographs from basically the scene and, and well anything related to the investigation. Do you recall which particular photographs he had pulled? There were some photographs that I could see obviously appeared to be outdoors. The night of? Because, all, yeah, these would have been from the shooting. I just remember when I walked in, they were shoving pictures back into the pockets. So they didn't, you know, I can't say that there's anything sinister to that. And I just raised a question. Why are we doing that? And I know I kept the book with me from then on. So we did whatever we did. And like I said, I don't know why I want to say there was the day we visited and then the search warrant was the next morning. Could I? I think they kicked off their search warrants in the morning. Vilified, deified. It's hard to find anyone apathetic about rapper and actor Tupac Shakur. By the time of his passing, September 13, 1996, he had sold millions of records. In death, the prolific musical artist would sell millions more. 25 years ago, it was clear to me how influential Tupac was, and I went in hard in reporting the case as a correspondent and producer on a primetime crime show. I was the first to secure the video of the now infamous beatdown at the MGM Grand, the first to get a hold of the search warrant affidavit detailing the gang warfare that erupted after Tupac was shot. Another first was securing interviews with the original Las Vegas Metro investigators. 25 years later, once again an exclusive. I interview now-retired homicide detective Brent Becker. Nothing is off the table. Oh, and if you've heard any of Tupac's songs, you've heard some of the language lightly sprinkled throughout this podcast. Enough said. Lennon Ozizway reporting. Tupac's murder was his case. The Usual Suspect, Episode 4. On the streets, he was known as Lando, or Baby Lane. And so began the article I wrote for Vibe magazine more than 20 years ago. The headline, courtesy of Vibe magazine editors, was Compton's Most Wanted. And it was all about Orlando Anderson. The same Orlando Anderson, who was so soft-spoken, polite, and even deferential when he showed up at his lawyer's office to tell me that he would not be able to sit down for an interview with me, even though he had agreed to do so earlier, and even though I had a sound man and a video photographer standing by. The same Orlando Anderson, whose name was bandied about 25 years ago as Tupac Shakur's suspected shooter, and the same Orlando Anderson, 25 years later, who still tops many lists, not all, as the man most likely to have murdered Tupac. I will note that some of you, my dear listeners, have contacted me already to say that you don't believe Anderson did it. 
and your questions will be answered in a later episode. But this episode will cover why Anderson has been on the lips of law enforcement, including Brent Becker's, from my very first reporting on the murder of Tupac. Suspicion of Anderson is detailed in a Compton Police Department search warrant affidavit that I was the first to uncover 25 years ago. Tim Brennan, who wrote the affidavit, made up half of Compton's gang unit, and he details the violence he says erupted between the Southside Crips, affiliated with Anderson, and the Mob Piru's, the gang most associated with Death Row Records and Tupac. Yes, other theories have emerged, but when it comes to a potential suspect or person of interest or whatever you want to call it, it's hard to think of anyone who's been in the spotlight more than Orlando Anderson. The first time you heard the name Orlando Anderson was from the mouth of Tim Brennan, the Compton Police Department. They had come over with a couple of L.A. County Sheriff's deputies, and that would have been after Tupac died. Now, how would that work? My understanding, it was September 16th. Tupac died September 13th, 1996. But how would that work? Well, first of all, because he died in the late afternoon and the autopsy would have been Friday night, it wouldn't have been that night that we heard from Compton. But they would call you? You called them? No, we didn't call them. But they're like calling saying, we've got some info for you. Well, they hadn't seen the video yet. Right. I think because I think what happened was things were happening in Compton. And they came over more for an informative to get some information. From you. From us. And I, I would... If they called that weekend, well, we wouldn't have answered the phone. Someone might have, but they may have just showed up because 16th would have been Monday. Is that normal in terms of dealing with police yeah, agencies? Yeah, you have, you, have you have other agencies show up for stuff. I mean, LAPD came over, you know, for Biggie and stuff. So they showed up. I don't know that complete circumstances of how it happened or what, but they showed up, talked about it, and we showed them the videotape of the fight at the MGM. And when Orlando was getting beat down, they couldn't identify Orlando there. It was hard to see anything but feet and fist wine. But when you get to the segment where the MGM security and the Metro officers are there, Orlando's crystal clear. And Tim Brennan said that was Orlando Anderson. He said it just Lane. like that. I think, I, yeah, he knew exactly. He knew. I don't know if he said that looks like or he said that is, but it was Orlando Anderson and the nickname Baby Lane came up. And I know they talked about what was going on over there. And what was going on over there was gang warfare. Right. They had a lot of shootings or whatever going on. And the L.A. County guys are involved. They were gang guys from L.A. County, so I think they all worked together. 
and I think there's a is Linwood close to Compton? Yes. Because I think there was a sheriff's substation in Linwood. So I I think that was all how the connection was. And uh, so they came over. We shared whatever information. And I they left that day. I don't think this. I don't remember it being a multiple day visit. I I don't. What was your thought though? Well, initially I'm thinking, well, this is great. We've got some people in California. Because remember, I know squat about Compton, California. Not being from there, I know nothing, and we hadn't heard anything prior to that. Which was a disadvantage then to the investigation that you didn't know about Compton? Well, yeah, I guess, but I don't know about San Francisco, other than it's San Francisco, you know? So the point is, I don't have any personal knowledge of the Compton Police Department or anything like that. Do I have knowledge that Compton's kind of a messed up area, a lot of gang activity? Well, I knew that, but guess what? There's parts of L.A. that are the same thing. Las Vegas. There's parts of Las Vegas that are the same thing. Chicago, whatever. You know, I'm just saying Compton in specific, Compton PD. I never had any dealings with Compton PD. So the point is, I don't make it a point of knowing every law enforcement agency there is because, good golly, there's a ton of them. Okay, but you they leave and you're thinking, okay, this is helping us with our case. Right off the bat, they've identified Orlando Anderson, which I'll tell you was a person of interest from the very get-go because of the videotape. Once we saw the videotape, yes, we did not have a name to it, but we can say this dude that they're interviewing is the dude that's down there getting whooped on because you could tell enough from the jersey. It was, And because of the way the video was put together, one plus one equals two. You know, it's, it's just, it's, there's no great police work here. This is just stuff being put together. Uh, you know, I'm not taking credit credit for anything great. I'm thinking, we got a videotape, and now we've got a guy that, well, why are they whooping on him? One, and the night of the shooting, nobody's saying anything about that when asked if there was a problem. <laughs> so there's there's a one plus one equals two also. You know, so now, and again, that's not great police work. That's just police work 101. You got this. You got, they aren't saying something. Why is that? And from your experience, you were asking the very first night, was there any problems earlier today? Yeah, not necessarily focused on a beatdown like that because I don't know. The point is, because I don't know at the time, did Tupac have words with someone at the fight? Did they, you know, go face to face? Was there pushing and shoving? Or did someone from death, should Knight have words with someone or anything like that? I mean, that's just a typical deal. If someone gets shot, the first thing you're going to be wondering is, well, why did this person get shot? And the line of questioning is, well, why did he get shot? So what happened preceding this that could be the cause of this? 
just like domestic violence, you know, or a bar fight. Well, what caused this? Did the guy hit on someone else's girlfriend, you know, and he didn't like it? So that that's all it was. So what, I mean, you are having these gang folks coming out from L.A. Yeah, they came now. Remember, we didn't ask them. We They showed up. Right. But that's telling you, which I'm sure you may have already had a strong inkling, gangs are involved. Yeah, we had that feeling from the very get-go. But now that Compton is showing up and showing interest and telling us their story. And identifying the focus of the beatdown. Yeah, and identifying Orlando Anderson. Well, sure. And then, like I said, I want to say they identified the guy that comes into frame later on when Orlando's talking to security and the Metro officers. Who was that guy? I, I just, I'm racking my brain and I don't remember. I remember he was in, he was more neatly dressed than Orlando because he was in a football jersey. I don't know why I, I keep thinking they said it was Corey Edwards, but I, I don't want to swear to it. That would be somewhere where it, in the case you know, file. it said in the case file. For some reason, I want to say the name Corey Edwards. I don't think it was Keefe D. Well, I've seen Corey but Edwards. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I've so. seen Corey Edwards say that he was a friend of Orlando Anderson, and you mentioned Keefe D. He was the uncle of Orlando right. Anderson. So how do you move it forward from there? We know who this guy is. And we know who it is. And Compton is willing to share, you know, they're throwing out all these names from their events in Compton, the sh whatever gang related stuff. That's erupted after the shooting of two. Right. I mean, there is a whole pile of names in that case file that we got from Compton. I remember them more by their street names in some sense, but their real names are in there, like Neckbone, whatever. I don't remember what his real name is, but I remember, because Mike and I used to say, where do you get the nickname Neckbone? But then when we met him, he says he pretty good neck on him, I think, I remember. Oh, so you did meet Neckbone? Yeah, in uh, Compton? Okay. I think it was Compton. But we may be getting a little ahead yeah. in terms of the progression. Sure. So you get these names, and when these names are put out, Neckbone, maybe Hendog, maybe Buntree, what are they saying about them? Well, they're throwing them out as names affiliated, and again, I don't remember, but are affiliated one way, shape, or form with what's going on in Compton. With the gang warfare that's right. erupted. Whether they're Bloods or Crips, I don't remember. Uh, crucify me for having a bad memory. But well, that's, it was 25 years ago. But, yeah, that's, that's what that was going on. I remember getting photos because I know that I made a bunch of photo lineups with a bunch of players from Compton. Including the players that were... Revealed to you by that Orlando Jim Anderson's Ray. in a photo lineup. I can tell you, Orlando Anderson's in a photo lineup. Keefe D's in a photo lineup. Corey Edwards in a photo lineup. Uh, DeAndre Smith's in a photo lineup. The guy that I don't really want to throw out now, 
the one for the all pin. These other, the, yeah, all these other guys have been published left and right. I, I don't know if this other guy is. So and stopping you that on, photo lineup on DeAndre at some point. And I don't know if it was the point where you put him in a photo lineup, but he was identified as being in the car. Yes, I know that that came later on, but that was a name that came out from the conversation with Compton. There was a name, and I want to say there was a vehicle. I just don't remember it. Why I want to say it was like a Blazer or something, and that's back when Blazers were big trucks, you know, SUVs, you know, smaller than a Suburban, but that. And I remember we had an address in Las Vegas because we went to check on it. And whether he vacated or what, I don't remember the specifics, but nothing was there. And again, and, uh, what was his importance? You learned of him from Compton PD? From Compton, I will run and remember they had a vehicle. Was it a vehicle identified in Compton during all of their gang stuff? That, I think had a Nevada license plate. Okay. So, and they had a license plate number, if I remember right. Compton did. So they had, yeah, and I think, so they ran the plate and had, because they have just the same capabilities as us as running plates from other states, and they had an address, and I know we went to there. I don't know if Compton went over there. I don't know what all they did while they were in Vegas. I just don't. If they told me, I don't remember. All right. and But I remember we did look into it, too. You're also getting calls on the tip line. Are you getting calls about Orlando? Are you getting calls about Keefe D? Are you getting calls about DeAndre? Corey Edwards? Not so much DeAndre. I mean, DeAndre's name more comes up through Compton. Orlando's name comes up all over the place from everybody. I want to say Keithy D came up a little bit. Uh, I want to say Terrence Brown's name came from Compton. Like I said, there was just a slew of names. So Los Angeles comes to you. At what point do you go to Los Angeles? Compton told us that they were doing a search warrant I don't know the date, but it was probably into October sometime, since that was September 16th. Yeah, I want to say it was early October. I think it was sometime early October. They're going to do a search warrant, and they let us know, and basically they're inviting us to come over. So Mike and I... And to stop you there, what did they tell you is the purpose of this search warrant? Well, our understanding was the search, search warrants was based on all the stuff going on over there, gang-related, and there may be a correlation to our shooting. That's the way I understood it. All right. And uh, Mike and I drove over, because I remember we trying to find a place to stay close to Compton so we didn't have to drive 100 miles. Of course, in California... 10 miles is a two-hour drive, so we I'm wanted to be you're, close. I'm afraid you're right. <laughs> yeah, so we were in another town. I'm not going to – I do remember the town because an old sergeant of mine in Phoenix was came from there. But uh, 
we were in another town. We stayed there. And then I remember we drove to Compton. I don't know why I want to say we went to Compton actually the day before the search warrant. Oh, I don't think it was the day of. I want to say it was a two-time deal because I think the search warrants actually started in the morning. So a two-time deal, what do you mean? Well, we went there. We had a day meeting the people and talking and stuff. And then and I'm just going by what I think happened. I can't, unless, I can't believe we just met all these people. That day. After the search warrant. I want to say it was two different days. And in talking about the search warrant affidavit, I will say that I was the first reporter to get it. I walked down to Compton City Hall and asked for it, thinking that it may be unsealed, and it was, and I got a copy of it. And when I got back to my hotel, somebody called me from death row saying that they wanted a copy of the affidavit. And I'll say part of me was like... (laughs) Why can't you go down and get it yourself? I figured out that it might be unsealed, but in talking to my bosses, they said, go ahead and, and give it to them. But I must say, I was a little annoyed. I said, I, I don't even live here. If they're going to give it to a reporter or anyone who lives here, why can't they do it? They, they're here all the time. So I was annoyed, well, but it also told me that there were eyes, Tupac said, all eyes on me. I was like, there were some eyes on me. They may not be all eyes, but there were eyes down well, there. And that's my question. It says, where did you have to go to get the affidavit? What facility? It was in a facility where the police department was. I imagine City Hall. It was all in one complex. See, I and I don't remember a lot about Compton PD. If it, I get maybe it was all one building and just one section was Compton PD, one was city courts, one was rec- city records and so i have been there before. So you didn't go to the Compton Police Department per se, you went to wherever they had the stuff recorded. Correct. So then the question is, is it who from that building knows somebody? <laughs> to, to... I was frankly quite annoyed because I said, you know, I did yeah. some enterprise to figure maybe this time i mean i was calculating when it could possibly be unsealed and you know i was enterprising and i was i will say i was annoyed and and i wasn't just annoyed that death row had called me i was also annoyed that whoever they were calling on behalf of why didn't they have the moxie to do it themselves well, and it's a maybe a little different, but there are similarities to our pen register. So here you go. We did something, we recorded it, and obviously someone from that office called the media to tell them what we were doing. So again, that's when you were researching the phone of a potential yeah, a person so, of interest. So this affidavit, this search warrant affidavit, is full of a lot of most interesting things. Many of them. Yes, it is. What was your take when you first read it? Well, it was full of great information, lots of names. If I remember it all, I think most of the information was coming from informants. CRIs. I don't, yeah, confidential, reliable informants. That's something they use. That's an acronym they use there in Compton and maybe a California thing. But the point is, 
I'm trying to remember, was there anything directly quoted from a person's name? That's what I just don't remember. I remember a lot of informant CRI being used. CRI said this, CRI said that. And that's fine. That's something that you use in police work. But the thing I gathered from it was there's a lot of informants here, so you don't have anything quoted directly from a person that we know, one. And then there was a mention in one of them people. I don't remember I don't remember being quoted by a person or a CRI that told them that the shooter got out of his car and shot Tupac. Well, we already know that that's not true. And that's based on multiple witnesses. Yeah. So right away we know that CRI isn't very CRI. Okay, he's not very reliable, not very at armed. least from that perspective. Not for that particular point. So you raise one question, now you raise a lot of questions, at least on that. And I'm not, I don't know if that was a CRI I don't remember quoted multiple times or that was a different CRI because I think they pro did they have numbers on them? I don't recall. It's been a, a few days since I've read it. Because some, sometimes you'll have informant one, informant four, inform, you know, stuff like that. I just don't remember what was on there. But either way, there were a lot of names on there. And a lot of those names were names that Compton had already kind of given us. Okay. So, so, so that, you know, that's, that's good. I mean, there's a lot of information on there, but at that point, it's still hearsay information that's got to be corroborated. Some of the information was that Orlando Anderson was seen with a 40 caliber Glock. Yeah, I'd heard that was on there. Uh, there's all kinds of things about shooting and stuff that I remember because I know. After they did, well, when they served the search warrant, they were looking for specific things. Bullets for a forty caliber Glock also recovered. And that's, again, the Glock is significant because... Well, it was a forty Glock that was used to shoot Tupac and apparently to injure Suge Knight, you know, in one way, shape, or form. Uh, so, I mean, to have the actual gun would be huge because now you can compare directly as far as ballistics. If you don't have the gun, but if you have ammunition that's similar, same, well, if it's the same manufacturer, that's huge. And then there's ways to compare possibly to, you know, same lots or something like that. You, you get into all the firearms examiner guys and the stuff they can do. But if you have, say, Federal 40 caliber recovered at a search warrant and Winchester, just say Winchester 40 caliber at a shooting. Well, we got a problem because it's two different things. But they did not match. The bullets that were recovered, my understanding, did not match with, even though they were 40 caliber Glock. There was nothing recovered from the search warrant that I remember that matched anything from our shooting. I just know they did the search warrant. There was, you know, uh, L.A. sheriffs had like a mobile booking station, I think, 
bust or something in the Compton parking lot. And uh, they had a lot of people involved because they were hitting multiple places at once. Weapons were also recovered from Keefe D, Orlando Anderson's uncle. Right. And I, they didn't come back, from what I understand, to anything either. Because you got to realize those things are anything seized during the search warrant is theirs. They have to do so. Now we can say, hey, here's our stuff, compare or whatever, I guess. You know, I don't remember what we gave them, but at some point it's compared and nothing came back as being a positive to what was used in our shooting. So you were more a witness to this gang sweep? We were. There was, since talking to you, I understand there's people that say we we did the search warrant in conjunction with Compton, like we helped, we did the draw up for the affidavit and stuff. He says, no. If they mean, did we provide information that they may have used for their affidavit? Yeah, I guess so, because they came over and talked to us. Sure. But that's we didn't sit with them and draw up that affidavit. We didn't ask them to do the search warrant. That was that was their gig. We came over on the off chance if they found a gun that was you know going to be ours. That, that's a big deal. And that search warrant was drawn up by Tim Brennan, who was part of the gang unit. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's. I think he's the affiant. Uh, Tim Brennan would be. I mean, there's probably stuff from his partner and probably from L.A. County Sheriff's in that report. And he may have mentioned some stuff with us, too, because the videotape, I'm sure the videotape, if I remember right, was mentioned in there because he he identified Orlando Anderson in it. And they had all these informants throwing out things that were saying Orlando was, I think Orlando was bragging about something or, you know, and again, that's great. And also the cousin drove a caddy to a Compton auto shop two days later. They had a deal about a Cadillac being in an auto shop and something about getting some bullet holes fixed. And I remember the name. It was right. Where is it? Jerry. Now, the caddy with the bullet holes wasn't consistent with anything we had. From the night of the shooting. You saw the caddy then? We did some follow-up on it, yes. In Compton? Now, I, I'm not going to go into what our specifics were because when we got to, there were just some things that went on at Compton when we were there that disturbed us. So, What things went on in Compton that disturbed you? Well, the first thing that disturbed us was the when we find out who the gang lieutenant was, because we already know about Reggie Wright Jr. Who was in charge of death row security. He's the head of death row security. And now we see Reggie Wright Sr. is the lieutenant in charge of the gang unit. And I know people will say, yeah, but he's a cop and this and that. And I'm thinking, yeah, but blood is thicker than water. And <laughs> at what point did you learn that there was that association between senior and junior? Well, when we got to Compton. Oh, you didn't know that before? No, we didn't have it. The only people we knew at Compton was Tim Brennan. 
until we got there. Now, I will say before we went to Compton, we got information from two large, I'll say LA County law enforcement agencies. There are only so many large ones in LA County, but- Well, I don't know how many there are. I'll just say two large law enforcement agencies and they told us we should be careful in Compton. They didn't go into specifics. They just said that there was, they've had some issues with Compton. They didn't specifically say Tim Brennan. It was just the law enforcement, the agency itself, and there were some questions about the agency. Did they say specifically what issues they were talking about? They just, they said there were some issues about officers may not being on the up and up. That's kind of <laughs> not being on the you up interpret and up. It, yeah. Interpret that any way you want. I just know that we said, okay. So I know that when we got there, Mike and I weren't real thrilled about it after getting that information. Weren't thrilled about going. Well, we're thrilled about going, but we aren't thrilled about the negative reviews, so to speak, coming to the agent that are being made of the agency. And I will say this, the, the two big law enforcement agencies, my guess would be Los Angeles County Sheriff's and LAPD. And they're, they're two large agencies. Yeah, I'm not going to say that's who told me. I'm just saying two agencies, large agencies. I don't know what the manpower is over there on LA agencies, but and I know there's a bunch power. of them. Yeah, I know, excuse me. Okay. <laughs> so we went there. I know we met Reggie Wright Sr. Very nice guy. I mean, very amicable guy. And at that point, had you met Reggie Wright Jr. in person in Las Vegas? <sighs> I don't remember if we did or not. And? But that was... Uh, I don't remember him being at Suge Knight's interview. If he was, I just don't remember. And I will say I have met Reggie Wright Sr. and Reggie Wright Jr. I had done one story that I remember at Compton PD before, at least two or three years in advance of Tupac. So I had met both of them. Both very amicable would be how I would characterize them. Well, yeah, and Reggie Sr. was a very nice guy, you know. Uh, but shame on you if you go in there putting those two together and not at least having concerns. All right, Reggie Jr. and Reggie Sr. You got Reggie Jr., who you know is the head of security for Death Row Records, who we already know is kind of slow and responding or assisting in things because of how long it took to get Suge Knight in and other, you know, the other things. Was it at that point that you had suspicions about Frank Alexander, who said that he had this feeling that what he was telling to you at Las Vegas Metro was getting to death row? So when you, I, I, yeah, I can't remember specifically. I'm trying to remember when, because this would have been October. Tupac died on the 13th. 
that's only a couple weeks. And I don't, I think my last contact with Frank would have been at the hospital when Tupac was still there being treated, you know, just seeing him sitting outside the, the room. So I don't know that there's much of a conversation with Frank. I don't recall right then. I know that later on for sure. And, uh, see, we got there, we met Reggie senior. We met the chief of police or Taylor, Corey Taylor. I okay, Taylor. interviewed him. Nice guy. Again, a right. very amicable fellow. I mean, I, I'm not saying they were treating us bad or anything. In fact, I interviewed him for the story, the same story that you appeared in the first story that I did. Oh, okay. About Tupac's murder. I just know that when Mike and I got there, we both even talked about it. We felt uneasy. What does that mean? Do we do we have anything that we heard or someone said to us? No, we just walked in. And sometimes you just gut feeling is something you go on. I mean, you... I'm sure if you talk to any other cops, a lot of cops, they're going to tell you the same thing. You get a gut feeling about something. A gut feeling that dot, dot, dot. A gut feeling that, you know, these things that these other agencies have mentioned. I said there were just some people wandering around. They seemed awful interested. In, and I'm not talking about Tim Brennan. I'm talking about people other than Tim Brennan. Awful interested in knowing what we had. They were asking you? Everybody wanted to see that book because we brought our case file with us. They came out and said, hello, I want to see your case file. Oh, they were interested in it. They talked to us, you know, they'd come up and introduce themselves. And they, they said they were really interested in the case and all that. And, and these weren't all detectives or anything. There were some uniform guys. And then you had some, I would say they must have been people of rank because they were in suits. And I'm pretty sure one was at least a captain and one was at least a lieutenant. Maybe they were both captains. I just know, I remember them being introduced. I just don't remember specifics about them. And uh, So is that unusual? No, no. People are going to introduce. No. You know, unusual I, I don't to mean, want to look at the case file. Well, yeah. I mean, I... I've been to Los Angeles DA's office, and we were there about the investigation. And nobody asked to go through the case file. They may have asked questions about it. Because truly, it's easier to ask than to sit there and try to thumb through everything. But there was some interest in wanting to see what was inside binder so and in las vegas you were keeping this binder locked up but obviously you brought it with you yeah we had it with us there because we didn't know what was going to go on and if we needed to refer to something because maybe some people got that kind of a mind that they can remember everything i don't and mike could probably tell you the same thing so so you let everyone who asked from the patrolman to the suit did you let everybody look at the case file if they requested no. it? No. No. The only time that I can say someone looked in it, and I don't even remember if Tim Brennan looked at it while we were there because he was doing some other stuff. I remember there were, there's different rooms in the place, 
I don't know if it was a briefing room or something. I just remember a table. I remember someone saying we could leave because we didn't, the books already getting pretty big. You know, you don't want to walk around. I just soon set it somewhere and they thought it would be, they told us it'd be secure. We set it in there and it's not that we left the building, mind you. I mean, everything we're doing is within the building. I just remember I walked into there, back to the room, and I caught a guy in a suit, and he had the book open, and he actually had photographs pulled out of the plastic folders, because what we had is like those plastic sheets with pockets that you insert the pictures in. That way we can protect the, the photographs. And these were photographs from basically the scene and, and well anything related to the investigation. Do you recall which particular photographs he had pulled? Now, there were some there were some photographs that I could see obviously appeared to be outdoors. Because the night all, of? Yeah, these would have been from the shooting. I just remember when I walked in, they were shoving pictures back into the pockets. So they didn't, you know, I can't say that there's anything sinister to that. And I just raised a question. Why are we doing that? And I know I kept the book with me from then on. So we did whatever we did. And like I said, I don't know why I want to say there was the day we visited and then the search warrant was the next morning. Because I, I think they kicked off their search warrants in the morning. Don't, they, they isn't that people, usually a Well, a you pattern. catch people asleep. And I guess, you know, most of these folks weren't early risers. So they were probably up late. So they're sleeping in late. And it's a good time to catch people asleep. So, and I think that's what they, if I remember right, that's how it worked. They caught a lot of people asleep. <laughs> so at one point, do you go out with them? The, on the search warrant, I remember we went out because they had actually gone to Orlando Anderson's place. I don't remember if it was a house or apartment or something. I, I just, I, I want to say it was an apartment or something like that. I don't remember it being a house, but it could have been. I just remember that they did something at his house and they had some ammunition and stuff there. And we walked through and kind of looked it over and they were collecting evidence and such. Because you remember, this is their search warrant. The search warrant. Yeah, this search warrant was not at our request. There's been a lot of people since I've learned that this was us requesting them to do all this. Well, no. They had all kinds of crimes that were committed, being committed there, and they had information of people committing those crimes. So you would well, think that they are doing this because they want to be able to get evidence to prosecute the people that were committing the crimes that they were investigating over there. But I but I have heard the sentiment that this was, should have been helpful to your investigation. Oh, so it, and, there was. Uh, I'm not denying that. I am not denying that because absolutely, if they'd have found ammunition specific to our shooting or a handgun, oh, that'd have been huge. But that's not what happened. And would I be correct in saying that the affidavit pointed to Orlando Anderson? 
as oh, more yeah, than a person every, of interest? Well, from the affidavit's perspective, they got a lot of people saying Orlando Anderson did it. All right. They've got a lot of people saying he said he did it. Great. But now we got to corroborate it. Because like we've said before, people can say everything they want to say. You got to corroborate it. Because I will say that when I interviewed Suge Knight the following year and asked him, you know, said a lot of people think that you killed Tupac Shakur. And he basically says to me, well, looky at that document that I have a feeling he knew I was the first one to get. Well, that means that, he probably means he probably looked at it, too. Well, the fact that he was telling me to look at that document to see who killed Tupac Shakur would suggest that he had looked at it. Yeah. OK. So what does what does that tell you? Well, it just tells me that. Sig Knight's got this information now, whether they got it because it was unsealed at the time or whatever. But the fact well, this was is, some months later. Yeah. The fact is he got it. He knows about it. Now, he's a direct witness to the shooting who says nothing, really. And, you know, I've seen that interview and I'm thinking, well, again, Here's a guy that's not really being helpful. He's just throwing stuff out. I mean, he's he's saying, I'm sure he's saying Orlando Anderson, and that's all well and great. He says, Suge, you were there. Was it Orlando Anderson? But he never says that. Frank Alexander, Frank Alexander doesn't say it. Malcolm Greenidge, Yafu Fula didn't say it. Katari Cox didn't say it. So none of them girls said it. Well, I will say that about the time when I was asking Suge whether you know, he was a suspect or what he thought about being a suspect, that was a time he wasn't very happy with me, and the interview ended rather abruptly. And I kind of went into, I don't want to say hiding, but I was on the down low and checked into a hotel where I stayed a lot as Salman Rushdie. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah, I know who Salman Rushdie was. And he had a fatwa against him. so. I thought it was clever, but I remember actually one of the people who worked at the hotel was from Iran, and he freaked out when he saw me say that. Oh, so, boy. <laughs> um, but Suge Knight says, that's your guy. Look at that affidavit. So did you look at that affidavit and say, the search warrant affidavit and say, we had that's a, the I'm guy? I'm pretty sure we had a copy of it. So, yeah, it's it's in there. I says, yeah. Before it was a, unsealed. There's a lot of information. Well, we'd have had a copy whether it was sealed or not. I'm fairly, oh, exactly, I'm, I'm saying before I'm fairly certain they gave us a copy of it. Sure. Uh, yeah, a lot of great information. Remember, these are all tools for us to use in an effort to put something together to prosecute someone. There was there was nothing but he, at the time there was nothing but hearsay in there. It was in from informants. We also we do know that we have a question about at least one informant because of some of the information. So one of the informants is questionable because of him saying that the shooter got out of the car and shot Tupac. We know that is not true. So 
that information is not correct. So how much more of the information that person's giving is not correct? You, you know, you or I might think it's just one thing, but we have to look at things from a little different perspective. We're going to have to go into court and be able to withstand, obviously, cross-examination. Cross and that guy right there is already, first of all, they're going to, an attorney is going to say, well, who said this? And I'm going to say, I don't know. Well, Compton, the gang unit, has said in not so many words, and that would be Robert Ladd and Tim Brennan. And I've heard the sentiment in not so many words in a book that they handed the case to you, the solution for the case to you on a silver platter. I'm happy that they feel that way. How do you feel? I don't think it was handed on a silver platter. Bronze? If, if, if that is a silver platter, then it's obviously a lot easier in California to present things for prosecution than it is for in Nevada based on that information. And then my immediate question is, if that's a silver platter, did anybody that they arrested based on that affidavit ever go to prison? Since that was their search warrant and it was based on criminal activity? Did I don't know. I did did someone go to prison? I know Orlando was arrested that day, and some publications made it seem like it was he was arrested for the murder of Tupac no. Shakur, but it was for another case, and he was released two days later. What tell me about I met Orlando Anderson in the process of trying to get an interview with him. In fact, he said he would do an interview with me, waited at his lawyer's office with a photographer and a sound person. He showed up and said, I'm not going to do it. Very polite. Can't say that he appeared to be a ruthless gangbanger as he's been portrayed. What You did meet him at some point. Yes. What was your impression and what did you learn? He was sitting in the parking lot of the Compton Police Department. I don't think he'd been booked yet because he was still in handcuffs. He was alone. And I walked up to talk to him. It was just him and me. There was nobody else there. Your partner wasn't there either. Well, Mike was there at Compton PD, but he wasn't there with standing next to me By your side. when I was talking to Orlando Anderson. And if I remember right, because I know this made, there was media all over the place. I think they had them outside the parking lot or whatever. There are video of you, video of Orlando. It was a big deal. Yeah, and I think if there's, I don't know how long the video is, but it's somewhere in there, you'd see the video. I'm pretty sure you'd see it was just me and Orlando standing there. There wasn't like a bunch of people standing around. I remember walking up to Orlando. I mean, he couldn't help but know who we were. I mean, sheriff's officer wearing these green jackets, raid jackets. Compton's got blue jackets, and there's the two of us in our yellow jackets. That's what we wore in Las Vegas. And it had, you know, our, our badge and stuff like that. So he knew who it was, but I did tell him I was from Las Vegas. Okay, but it would have been easy to just see that you were from Las Vegas, even without... You tell if him? he if he looked at the jacket, he'd have read it. But I did. I went up because it had our badge and said Metropolitan Police, Las Vegas, Nevada, and 
LVMPD and stuff. But I walked up and I said, I'm Brent Becker. I'm from Las Vegas. And, you know, he made some comment like he kind of figured, you know, he knew. It, you know, this wasn't a surprise to him. And at first, I was just talking to him about what happened at the MGM. I says, hey, you know, looks like you got beat down pretty good at the MGM. Are you okay? And all that. He said, yeah, he didn't get, he told me he didn't get hurt. And I says, well, you know, Suge and Tupac beat you down pretty good. He says, yeah, he's basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember specifically. It would probably be. I've seen that quote yeah. of, of you saying about pretty good. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, he he admits that they both partook in the beatdown, meaning Tupac Shakur and Suge Knight, which, you know, the video speaks for itself. So we talked a bit about that, and I did remember asking him something about well, what happened after that, and he just said, he met up with some friend. Well, I think he used homies or something like that. It'd be it would be in there. In the police report, I talked to him a little bit about you. Well, you know about the shooting and Tupac getting shot, and he, you know he didn't say, "Well, that's just it's too bad that he died" or anything like that. You know, he didn't seem hurt by it, but he didn't act like he was excited by it. But he did deny. Line? But he did deny shooting Tupac. You asked him that directly. Yeah, he did deny shooting Tupac. So did that you asking him that question, and this became a bone of contention? Did that make him a suspect? I think we've talked about this suspect word before. I will tell you that Orlando Anderson was a person of interest from the day we got the videotape. Not a suspect. Before we knew his name. I don't, you know, we have to do certain things on reports because you only have certain things you can enter. If you look at our reports, you got to put a V for victim, W for witness, PR for person reporting, I think S for suspect. I, I don't remember all, but there was like a little letter Checklist. Or, that you had to put on there. And when you did reports, you were supposed to do specific labeling. Orlando Anderson at that time was not, there was nothing to say beyond a reasonable doubt with absolute certainty that he's the guy that killed Tupac Shakur. In my mind, he's a person of interest. Is he a very serious high person of interest? Absolutely. But at that moment, did I have my did I feel he might be involved? I will say yes, I thought he could be involved. But I had nothing of actual physical or eyeball witness anybody that said that Orlando Anderson did it, other than some informant saying it in a affidavit from Compton. What would have been different the way you approached him if you did deem him to be a suspect? Well, I can tell you because it wasn't our case, he was technically in custody on their charge. And the rules in Nevada are 
I think different. I don't know how they are in California, but I had a thought. I had enough to show that he was the shooter, and I wanted to question him directly related to that shooting, and you know, just to firm it up. One, we'd have wanted to talk to him privately, which you couldn't talk to anybody privately there other than out in the parking lot. Two, he'd have been Mirandized because he was in custody, just not on my charge. He was in custody by Compton PD, so he wasn't free to go. <laughs> and, you know, I couldn't just say, stand up, I'll take the cuffs off and you can hightail it out of here. But that wasn't the case at the time. So, sure, I could have stood there and Mirandized him. But I was feeling him out. You know, I wanted to see what was going on. And to Mirandize him, I just... Typically, if we don't have a person in custody, meaning they can walk away, we don't Mirandize them. Because Miranda, it's a custodial interrogation. It's not a talking to Joe Smith on the street interrogation. It's a custodial interrogation. You're required to do that. So technically he was in custody. So I wasn't going to get into a whole lot there because him sitting down on a curb or a parking block, or I don't remember what he was sitting on, isn't the best place to be doing this. And it was quite obvious he wasn't going to say much anyhow. At one point he said, I'm done talking. He, he just said he didn't have anything else to say to me. He didn't say he wanted a lawyer. He never he never used that term. He just said, I don't really want to talk to you anymore. At one point, this whole issue of whether he was a person of interest or a suspect became, shall I say, a bone of contention? Oh, I, I <laughs> actually, I can remember at Suge Knight's revocation hearing, an attorney going ballistic on me. Okay, let's uh, introduce okay. the revocation hearing. Okay. But just to put a bow on what happened with Orlando Anderson, you go there, you talk to him, you really don't get anything out of him except him saying that he was the recipient of a beatdown. That he did confirm, yes. And you leave... Compton well, with what? We didn't leave right away because I know Compton PD was talking to some people. They were doing some interviews uh, related to their affidavit. And I won't go into who the police officers were that were interviewing people. And I guess I won't, I won't throw Mike, uh, you know, I hate saying things that Mike felt this way too. Mike was there. But what you, what did you feel then? I just know that uh, I was present for an interview that was disturbing to me in that they would ask, a question would be asked and the person wasn't really answering the question, you know? They weren't getting a response. So to obtain a response, the next or statement was, 
Well, you don't have to say yes or no, just nod your head. Well, I don't know what's allowed in California, but for us, if we do an interview and we want a yes or no answer, we need a verbal response. I mean, we used to get guys that would nod. We'd be taping it, and this was before videotape. It was just audio tape. We'd ask this question, they'd nod their head. Well, the tape recorder isn't hearing that. We would say, you're nodding your head in the affirmative. Would you answer the question? And we'd get them to say yes or no or whatever. Because you tell me, if you go into court and the question comes up to you, well, what did the defendant say? Well, the defendant didn't say anything. Now, he may have nodded his head, and then they say, well, what did he do? And you may say he nodded his head, yes. Well, that's very subjective. I Was that straight up and down, detective? Was that kind of up and down? Was it sideways up and down? We don't like playing that game. It's, it's just, why deal with the headache? Because you may lose it in court because of that. And in court, you have to, from what I've seen, and I wanted to be a lawyer at one point, in court, you can't do that either. Is that correct? You can't just nod when responding to questioning. I don't remember any witness nodding because they would tell you to reply because you've got a court stenographer there typing. Now, they may be able to type on there, he's nodding his head, but they want a verbal acknowledgement. Unless that's always what I've un, seen. Unless the person just doesn't speak, and then they're doing sign language. So guess what? Now you're having a sign language translator with you to do that, or Spanish, or whatever. So, yeah, you. That just I thought. Okay, so how many? The first thing that went to my mind is how many of these CRIs acknowledge answers were that way. It just raises a question. I'm not saying they I don't I'm not saying that's how those were obtained in the affidavit. It's just a question and it raises issues for me. If people if people are upset about that, so be it. And it's a question that was raised in your mind after observing questioning in Compton at the Compton PD. Yes. So it made you wonder about the content of the affidavit? That was one of my concerns. I says, well, is this a common practice or isn't it a common practice? So I don't know. And, you know, if we ever went to court, I would guess that, well, Tim Brennan was the affiant of that affidavit. so. He would have been subpoenaed as far as that content. I have no idea what the specific line of questioning would be. I have a good idea just from my own personal dealings in Nevada courts. KPD, I saw a rather recent interview, certainly not one that took place 25 years ago. KPD, again, was the uncle of Orlando Anderson. And he said, following 
the shooting of Tupac Shakur, when he returned to Compton, that he was stopped by Lieutenant Reggie Wright Sr. and basically told, don't mess with my son, Reggie Wright Jr. And Keefe D's perception is that that affidavit and the investigations by Compton PD really went hard into Suge and MOB, the Bloods, it really went hard into investigating the Southside Crips oh. and was more sparing to Suge Knight, Death Row, who are affiliated with the right. mob, MOB. And Did you have that perception in looking at the affidavit that it was in any way skewed toward one gang or the other? I didn't look at it that way. I was just looking at the information, so it, it didn't occur to me that I'm thinking that, that Compton's targeting a particular side, be it crypt or blood. You know, uh, that wasn't the gist of what I got out of that. And this conversation you're talking about with Reggie Sr. saying that to Keefe D, that was never conveyed to me during the five years that I was in homicide. So I knew nothing about that till you brought it up. Yeah, I would imagine that it wouldn't be early on just because of the code of the street. Now, you were bringing up Suge Knight's revocation hearing. And I know that I was there a few days. I remember seeing Snoop Dogg, David Kenner, Michelle A, MC Hammer, a lot of people were there to support Suge Knight. And stop me when I'm wrong, the revocation hearing took place because of that MGM Grand video. Yes. In that Suge Knight was on probation, and that video showing him with the beatdown was perceived to be a violation of his probation. That's how it was presented to us by the L.A. County District Attorney's Office. That video was going to be their basis for revoking his uh, Suge Knight's probation. This is where things get a little like, huh? Wait, what? I don't understand this. At one point during Suge Knight's probation revocation hearing, he has somebody go on the witness stand saying, Suge's not such a bad guy. And the person is Orlando Anderson saying, I didn't get a beat down at the MGM Grand. Suge Knight was trying to help me. When did you become aware of that? Well, first of all, that was the reason I was there. I was there strictly as an impeachment witness because the video speaks for itself. I mean, just you've seen the video. I'm sure a lot of people have seen the video. I was the first to get it. If you look at first the video, you see what happens. You don't need a person to say what's happening unless you just need to get it on record with the stenographer and stuff. So 
My purpose for being there was in case Orlando Anderson, and obviously they must have suspected that was going to happen because he testified ahead of me. <clears throat> and apparently what you're saying, because I wasn't in the room, I was in a back room. I, you know, as a, a witness, you can't sit here and listen to everything that's being said. So apparently Orlando said what he said, and then I got called in and sworn in and told to testify as to what I learned through the video and all that. And I described that. And I actually think an MGM security guard got subpoenaed too, maybe just to, I don't know what they said. I'm just assuming they're there to explain how videotapes are obtained and stuff because I mean, I think I, and they would have the court record. I, I may have said I showed it to the DA there in Los Angeles to get this thing going. But, and then I told them what Orlando told me in Compton from the search warrants that he admitted. And Orlando had another story. And his story was completely different. He said Tupac and Suge basically beat him down, which is apparently opposite of what he said at the hearing. So headlines about you calling you a liar? How, how did that happen? Well, you know, the cross-examination or the examination, the cross-examination by the defense was done by David Chesnoff because he's a Las Vegas attorney. He was in Los Angeles. And th there was a line of questioning. It was quite obvious to me they were fishing for information on our killing. Well, I'm not in Los Angeles to talk about the killing of Tupac Shakur. I'm, this is at the revocation. The, correct. I am here to only, and I made it clear, I was there to talk about what was needed for the revocation for Suge Knight. And I, I made it, I mean, I don't know how the words were, but I just said I wasn't going to talk about the murder investigation. And, they had you on the stand. Well, I was on the stand, but that doesn't mean I got to tell them about the murder. They can ask me all the questions they want. I'm not, I don't plan on telling them anything about the murder investigation. They can sit there and keep me there all day asking. I'll be, I'm not answering it. But the, the thing that apparently got somebody upset is because I wouldn't use the word suspect for Orlando Anderson. Orlando, they didn't ask me if he was a person of interest. They said, is he the suspect in the in the Tupac killing? And I said, if I remember right, I probably said no. I, I didn't say he was a person of interest. I just answered the question. And it went on and on, and he was getting pretty upset. And I think he did call me a liar there in, while I was still on the stand. Because I know as I was leaving... One of the investigators for the DA's office even made a comment. He says, you did a heck of a job pissing off that attorney. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, whatever. That's the way it goes. And uh, we left the courtroom. I remember seeing Snoop Dogg out in the hallway but and whoever else was out there. But I know that was the last I had anything to do with that hearing. And I think someone from Compton testified after me. But I wasn't in the courtroom, so I don't know what was said there. I also remember seeing Suge Knight's mother there in a red track suit 
Yeah, I I can't. The courtroom was packed. Yes, it I was. just remember that the courtroom was packed. They had a camera in there, and I think it was feeding into another room that was full of journalists. I was in that room from time yeah. to time. I just know that when I left there, I said, it's a media circus. It's a Hollywood circus in California here from going through that. I'd never been in the courtroom where I had a camera with that kind of stuff going on. It just... One, I don't no think cameras? I don't think they'd I'm allow it. Think. I don't think they'd allow it back then. Now I understand. Well, OJ got in trouble in Las Vegas. I guess that probably had a few cameras there for that. I'm trying to think because I've done. I've been in the Clark County courthouse, and I'm just trying to remember if I there were had reporters. A I've had reporters in there, and there may have been photographers, right. but I but, know. But video. If this this was like a big produ- movie production is the way I looked at it. Because I remember I actually stepped up to the witness box to get sworn in, and someone said, well, you step into camera frame. And I thought, what? <laughs> so obviously I wasn't quite on my mark or something, I guess. You're in la-la land, indeed. So it was your understanding, or what was your understanding, the reason why... Orlando Anderson testified for Suge Knight and said that he didn't beat him down. But I guess later he did say he beat him down. I had no concrete information about that. There was just rumor. And the dollar amount is rumored, so it's up and down. But there was rumor that Death Row paid Orlando Anderson at least a five figure number to say. Suge Knight had nothing to do with the beatdown. And I, and I agree that later on, I remember seeing a, I think it was a newspaper story where Orlando basically recanted what he said in the hearing. And I think he even said you could do what you got to do or whatever. But, you know, the, the newspaper article would be clearer on that. Yeah, I did some reporting myself on the, the issue for Vibe magazine. And... I interviewed you for that article too. Yeah, that was but, later on, yeah. Right, that was when Orlando Anderson passed away. And that was one of the questions and he did die a couple of years after Tupac's death. I remember we got a call about it. What'd they say? I mean they just told us that I don't remember who called. It may have been Compton. I just don't remember. I just remember that Orlando had been murdered or killed. I don't know if they called it murder, but he'd been killed in Compton. And it was, I think they said gang related. I don't remember specifics, but I just knew that he'd been killed. My understanding, it was a shootout and Orlando had been across the street with, I guess as he was calling, a homie. Saw a couple of guys, apparently there was a deal deal between them that didn't go so well, and the two of them approached the guys across the street, and shooting ensued. Well, Orlando is one of many people that's name is involved in this investigation that's died, be it from natural causes or other. Unnatural. Unnatural, yeah nefarious so to speak 
but it was my understanding his grandmother had passed away that same day that he had been paid $80,000. And that's what my sources said back then, $80,000 for a settlement. And the settlement was for the beatdown that Orlando received at the MGM Grand, which is kind of interesting that he testified that there was no beatdown, but the settlement was for a beatdown. Well, and so, if that's truly the case, yeah, why are they settling if they didn't beat him down? Of course, he would, death row would not be the only organization that's ever done that <laughs> in this country. You see a lot of settlement on stuff with the stipulation that they aren't admitting guilt. And, you know, there's a clause in there that no one can talk about it. My understanding was from a death row source that when Orlando died, actually, I, I called somebody at death row to get a comment about Orlando dying. And their comment to me was, well, Tupac is Tupac is up in heaven, and they did say heaven, beating, and this is a direct quote, beating Orlando Anderson's ass. So whatever. <laughs> I, I also remember my editor saying, we can't, because that's how I was going to end the story. And they were like, we can't end the story that way. But I always remember that because that was striking that even in death, they were saying, oh, oh, sure. And does it strike you as unusual? Because it has for me all these years that it took two years for Orlando to pass away after the shooting in Las Vegas. Well, there's a lot of things that were strange about that. But Orlando is certainly one because his name was the one that was thrown out the most. And I'm thinking if everybody has come to that conclusion, I'll say. And if everybody's unhappy about what he did, you would have thought that he'd have been targeted a lot sooner. I mean, Tupac Shakur was shot and died in September of 96. Orlando died sometime in 98. I don't remember yeah, two what years month. later. Yeah. So... You've got all of 97. I don't know, was there ever an attempt to kill Orlando between September 96 and his actual death? I have heard that, you know, at one point he was in a wheelchair, that his knees were shot up. And then I've heard that that's completely made up. So did you ever hear anything? Did you ever hear of retaliation? No one ever contacted us to say an attempt was made on Orlando's life. I've seen some reports, but I, you know, as as Abraham Lincoln has said, don't believe everything you see on the internet. <laughs> Abe Lincoln said that, did he? He did. He was he was quite familiar. He was an influencer, but he um, was quite the prophet. <laughs> indeed. So you never heard that officially. And wouldn't no. you have heard that officially in your role during, because that would have fallen within the time you were one of the homicide investigators? One would have hoped so, but as time has gone on, I've learned there's a lot of different things that probably weren't passed along to us, at least while I was working. And some other things that I've heard were, didn't appear to have been passed along to the folks that inherited the case after I left. So, you know, 
that's the way certain organizations work, I guess. Yeah, I'm not, again, I've told you before, I don't want to throw names out if I can help it. You know, I, and you've clearly said, I've gotten some stuff slung at me, but you know, that's just a different nature of people, I guess. So that should do it in terms of Orlando Anderson. Although again, I find it incredibly curious that Orlando Anderson and his uncle were in Las Vegas, September 7th, 1996. And you're shaking your head, so you're in agreement. Yes, yes, they were there. Two years after Tupac was shot on his way to perform at a benefit concert in Las Vegas, Orlando Anderson was shot and killed in Compton, California. At the time, the Compton Police Department said the shooting was not related to Tupac's death, and 25 years later, that still seems to be the case. As I wrote in my article for Vibe, Compton Police say Anderson and his associate, Michael Reed Darrow, were at a hamburger joint when they spotted two men who reportedly owed them money across the street at a car wash. Posted at the car wash when I visited shortly after the shooting was a hand-painted sign that read, Jesus is the answer. The way police tell it, absolution was not on the minds of Anderson or Darrow. A shootout followed. Darrow would be the last man standing. And remember when I talked about honorary pallbearers? Well, Darrow was an honorary pallbearer at Anderson's funeral honorary because he was locked up for three cases of capital murder, including for the killing of his friend, Orlando Anderson. Anderson always denied killing Tupac Shakur. 25 years after the murder of Tupac Shakur, no arrests have been made. If you have any questions you'd like to ask retired Las Vegas Metro detective Brent Becker about Tupac's murder, you have a few ways to go about it. Use the hashtag TupacMurderPodcast on Twitter or Instagram, or go to my website, TupacMurderPodcast.com. You can type out your questions or record audio or video and send it in, and we'll get to as many as possible. But then again, you may have answers to what actually happened 25 years ago. Send me a private message via TupacMurder underscore podcast on Instagram or Twitter or just go directly to TupacMurderPodcast.com. I'm Lana Nozizwe reporting. Tupac's Murder Was This Case was created, produced, written, and hosted by Lena Nozizwe. That's me. I also created the art and music. Jen Nathan Orris is the sound producer and audio consultant. Lowell T.C. Woundla is the creative consultant emeritus. Special thanks to Joe Mayer and Annabelle Vidrio. You've been listening to Lena Nozizwe reporting, Tupac's murder was his case. Be sure to subscribe and tell your friends to do the same. For extra content, go to TupacMurderPodcast.com. Coming up next on Tupac's murder was his case. You said that you never got into a conversation about dirty L.A. cops being responsible for the notorious B.I.G.'s murder. No. I know I've read about it. But not with Russell. 
not with Russell Poole. And the closest thing I got to any kind of, in, I'll call it internal related things with Los Angeles. Internal affairs. is Yeah, internal affairs is when we were doing the, you know, started the Tupac Shakur killing. You've been listening to Lennon Azizwe reporting. Tupac's murder was his case. An Azizwe T original. All rights reserved. Three, two, one.